What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Some choose to call him Yeshua, fine, God bless them. But for me, my declaration is his name is Jesus because the subject of the New Testament is about Jesus, and he was born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. He lived in Nazareth, and he died on a cross in Jerusalem. Jesus is his name, and that was the name that was given in, in Matthew 1.21. He shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby he must be saved. And, and, and Jesus is the name that was given from heaven. I'm not against Yeshua, if you call him Yeshua. If you talk to an Israeli, say Yeshua. But uh, under that name of Jesus, he brings many sons to glory. Under that name, he calls them his brethren in Hebrews 2.9, Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation, in the midst of the church, will I, will I sing praise. So here he is. He's in the midst of the congregation. This is what this verse is, is quoting in Hebrews 2.9 2, 2, passage. This, he's in the midst of the congregation in verse 22, and he's determined to declare his name unto his brethren. It's not just a secret for him, he's even more public. He's in the midst, right in the middle of a congregation. I'm gonna praise you. It reminds me of the time when my, 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 my sister-in-law, Marsha Cohen, died. And at the synagogue, the practice is that only family members can speak. Well, I was a family member. I was the in-law, but I was still a family member. And so the cantor allowed me to speak from the podium. And I looked out over this whole congregation of these Jewish people in the synagogue, and I said, will I or will I not? 
And then, it was like a marriage. And then I said, I will. And so, so, so I thought, I win when I say the name Jesus. That's all. I win when I say the name Jesus. I don't have to sit here and go, do you know the plan of salvation? I don't have to do that because his name is so powerful. So what happened is that they got up there and I said, Marcia and I agreed on many things except for one thing, and that was Jesus. Well, you could have, I don't know, you could have heard a lot of things at that point. But you know what I said? I won. That was it. I won. Afterwards, the cantor was so angry with me, I wanted to break the ice a little bit, you know? So I said, I said, cantor. He says, yes. And I said, I said, you know, most cantors have to study all their lives to become a cantor. I was just born one. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I will declare thy name in the midst of the congregation. Reminds me of another time in, in, in 2009 when, as many of you know, I was selected to be the whistleblower of the year. I may have told you this. And I was asked to speak at the annual meeting of the lawyers for taxpayers against fraud in Washington, D.C., the annual meeting. And the people who asked me to speak, they knew me. So they said, listen, we have to tell you something. You are not the keynote speaker, they told me. Okay. <laughs> See that man over there? That's Patrick, Senator Patrick Leahy. He's the keynote speaker. He's going to be sitting at your chair, at your desk, at your table, but he's the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he's the keynote speaker. So you have three minutes, they told me, three minutes. Well, I had no idea what I was going to say. I didn't know if it was going to be three minutes or what. And so, you know, we walked around Washington, D.C. for the day. We're going to the monuments, things like that, and I'm sort of in a different world saying, what am I going to say? And this made my wife very nervous. And so she sat down. She wrote my message. She said, here's your message. You just get up there and say this. And it was all about how good it is to be an American and have a voice against fraud. And so I said, okay. And I, I put her, her speech in my pocket. And we spent the rest of the day. And I was in a different world around Washington, D.C., wondering what I was going to say. And she knew that I hadn't decided what to say. So she said, listen, I want to make something very clear to you. She says, we're sitting at the, at the head table with Senator Leahy. She says, but I have a room key. And she said, if you start to fall flat on your face, I'm getting up and walking out, she said to me. <laughs> well, I didn't know what to say, you know, I was kind of there. And, all, you know, one lawyer's getting up, another lawyer's getting up, and, you know, this lawyer's getting up, and he introduced himself as Mr. Goldstein. And another lawyer gets up, he's Mr. Levi. Another one gets up, Mr. Bernstein, Mr. Gatowitz, Mr. Marks. And I realized I'm in the midst of the congregation. <laughs> My brethren. It's a congregation of my Jewish brethren. So I sat there and I said to myself, will I or will I not? And I thought to myself, these Jewish people will never go into a church, I guarantee you. They will, unless it's a funeral. They will never go into a church to hear a message of salvation. So I closed my eyes at that table and I, and I opened it and I said to myself, some call this a banquet hall at the Washington, D.C. Hilton. But God and I call it a church. And I looked at the podium up there, and I, and I said, some call that a podium, but I call it a pulpit. And then I thought about myself, and I said, some call me a speaker, but God and I call me a preacher. And at that moment, it was just as though I could hear God say to me, that's right, preach, son, preach. And so, because you're in the midst of the congregation of your brethren, so I got to the podium, and I tried to break the ice a little bit. So I said, you know, I was a little nervous. I'm a little nervous tonight. I was a little nervous tonight because I thought I was going to be the only Jewish person here in this meeting. But I was surprised to see that there are a few others, too. They were all Jewish. And then I went on, and I said, actually, I got my inspiration. 
to be a whistleblower from a Jewish person, another Jewish person, a very special Jewish person, a Jewish woman, a very special, brave Jewish woman who had a chance, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to blow the whistle and save the Jewish people, and she was so brave because she was 100% separated from her Jewish people. She was surrounded by non-Jewish people in a very heathen environment. She risked her life to save the Jewish people. She risked her life to blow the whistle. She risked her life to save the Jewish people. And I was surprised at that point. Nobody knew who I was talking about. I could see they were thinking, is it gold in my ear? So she was believed. And the mastermind who wanted to kill all the Jewish people to be, he was killed, and his name was Haman. Oh, then they all started with the noisemakers, you know, and they, they were thrilled, you know. Then I thought, well, I haven't won yet. So then I thought, actually, there was another greater Jewish person who gave me the inspiration for being a whistleblower, and that Jewish person also risked his life to blow the whistle and save the Jewish people, but unlike Esther, that greater Jewish people, he actually did die in the process of saving the Jewish people from destruction, and that destruction was the eternal destruction of hell, and that greater Jewish person who blew the whistle was the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, hmm. they didn't clap. <laughs> no, they didn't clap. And, it, and when I said that, it was, oh, I can't even tell you the looks. But, but, it was, but again, I said to myself, I won. I won. And, and, and as I sat down, I leaned over to my wife, said, how long did I speak? She said, 23 minutes. And, uh, and everybody's face looked like shock and anger. But I could hear God say, at ease, soldier. You did what you could because you did Psalm 22, 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Now, the Lord now turns and he addresses three groups of people at this point. Verse 23, he says, you that fear the Lord, group one, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, group two, glorify him and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel, group three. So the first group is a group that's described as they fear the Lord. This is the group that understands the power of the Lord. They know how the Lord with his mighty power destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with rain, with fire and brimstone. And to this group, he says to them, you praise the Lord. Praise that God, that great God of might, who is not destroyed, but instead has opened up the doors of salvation to deliver from our sins. Praise him, praise him to bring about this great creation which he did in, the, in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, great creation that was all to benefit man. And you could put that after almost every verse in Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to benefit man. And the earth was without form. And, and, and to, everything is with, to benefit man, to benefit man. Praise him. Praise him for the beauty of his care in sending the rain to water the earth and making food to come. But praise starts with simple things, like thanking God for the simple things, like thanking God for food. Reminds me of the orphanage in Takati, where the 35 orphans are. 
uh, with Dr. Trejo and her husband, Maceo, and uh, the police just come any time of night or day, and they drop these kids off at the, the, the doorstep, and, but they take them in, and they lovingly teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have dogs. They have love dogs, chickens. They have a lot of animals. And once they have them guests over there, there were some guests who came, and we were not believers, and they were having lunch with the children. And one of the children there noticed that the guest just started eating, didn't thank God. So the little child says to Dr. Trejo, Trejo, why are they eating like my dog does, not thanking God for the food? So the first call of the Lord Jesus is to those who know the power of God is to thank and praise him. And then he addresses the seed of Jacob, the Jewish people. He calls on them to glorify God. Of all the people who should glorify God, it's the Jewish people because so many times they were on the brink of annihilation and Jehovah Jesus steps in and he saved them from destruction. And so King David, in his Psalms, he was teaching the Jewish people in his famous many a time Psalm, in Psalm 129, Psalm 129, one through five, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. May Israel now say, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, yet have they not prevailed against me, and so forth. The plowers plowed against my back and and and. Let those many a time, he's saying, let those many a time today in Psalm 22, let those many a time include Egypt and Babylon and Persia and Russia and Nazi Germany and the Palestinians and the, and the Arabs and so forth. Many a time have the enemies of the Jewish people licked their chops and said in Psalm 83.3, Psalm 83.3, they have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones they have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance for they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. And so every time when they thought that now it is the final solution, they're gonna destroy the Jewish people, God saved them. And so therefore, David says to them, would you please say, let in, in Psalm 118.2, Psalm 118.2, let Israel now say, that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. Oh, that the earth would hear the Jewish people glorify God and say his mercy endured forever and the many a time we were gonna be destroyed, but he saved us. And so he calls on them, seed of Jacob, to praise him. And then he says, fear him, fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. Now, he has just made a transition from going, calling people, calling them Jacob to calling them Israel. And this is a very important transmission because in that transition, God is reminding them, the Jewish people, of the great change that happened to Jacob in that monumental chapter for them in chapter uh, 32, uh, Genesis 32. When the headstrong Jacob was broken, actually his hip was put out of joint, and the wrestler against God became a clinger to God, and in Genesis 32, 26, his name was changed. Genesis 32, 26, he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. That was a great turn that happened for Jacob. When Jacob, he just didn't want Jehovah Jesus. He just didn't need Jehovah Jesus. He said at that point, I must have Jehovah Jesus. And that's when the great name changed happened in verse 28, Genesis 32, 28. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. 
So when Jacob made this monumental change in his heart to become a clinger to God, God pointed his finger at him and said to him, Israel, and that was the beginning of the name of Israel. No longer Jacob, Israel clings to God. Jacob wrestles with God. So the name of Israel represents a great change and a change from being a self-willed man to being a God-needed, God-directed man. A change from being a man who was, God means nothing to me, to, to a man who says, God means everything to me. And this is the image that God is calling to the Jewish people to remember when he calls on the seed of Israel here by calling them, in this passage here, the seed of Israel. God is saying to them, you are descendants of the man who turned from running away from God to running to God. Follow your, follow your father. Follow Jacob. Follow Jacob. And as he transforms from his Jacobness to Israel, it's so important when he, he says, uh, fear him, all ye the seed of Israel, in verse 23, verse 23. Fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. Now, fear, it's not the same as the fear before you that fear the Lord. This is a different word. Again, you know, I wouldn't use fear, but they didn't ask me, so what can I do anyway? If fear is gur, gur. This is gur, the Hebrew word gur. Gur is a very interesting word that you can see the meaning from, from Ruth 1, Ruth 1, 1, the first verse in the book of Ruth. When it talks about, uh, it gives a history about the people there in Ruth 1, it says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. This word sojourn is the word gur. It means you live there. Go, go live there. Go dwell there. Go that's make that place your home. That's what he did. This is the word that's used in verse 23. So when it says, fear him, all ye the seed of Israel, it's really live with God. All you, the seed of Israel, dwell with God. Make God your home, just like uh, this man did in Ruth 1 here. He made Moab his home, so the call here is live with God. Make that great turn. Abide with God. Dwell with Jehovah Jesus, just like the Lord Jesus said in, in John 15, 4. John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. That's why this hymnal are so vitally important. When the word of God dwells in you richly, which is really the word of Christ, when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, you will sing to yourself spiritual songs and hymns and make melody in the, to the Lord in your heart. That's why it's so, this is all what's involved in abiding in him and living with him. And he says, if you abide in me, in, in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you, John 15, 7. So having a life where the words are living inside of us Having a life where the hymns are living inside of us, that's what it means to abide, to live with. Verse 23, live with God, all ye the seed of Israel, to abide in the word and prayer and hymns. And this is the great change that he's calling the Jewish people to, to make. And it's a radical change. 
It's not just to be familiar with the fact that Jesus is God and to know all the doctrines. It's where the word of the Lord Jesus becomes embedded in the heart and the life becomes a life of prayer for everything. And this can only happen when there is this dramatic change from Jacob to Israel, from I do my thing, I myself will, to I do God's thing. And who among the Jewish people would ever make a change like this? I mean, I ask myself this question all the time. Uh, I say, I don't know. Is it possible? Who, who, who? Only one person. And that person is described in verse 24. This is why verse 24 is so important. And this is why it's put here. Because it says, he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his faith from him. When he cried, he heard. The only person, Jewish or non-Jewish, doesn't matter, the only person who makes such a dramatic change from going away from the Lord Jesus to going to the Lord Jesus is the person who is described as the afflicted. The afflicted. The afflicted is the one who cries out to God. The person who is desperate, the person who is at the end of his rope, the person that is described in verse 24 as not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he doesn't hide his face from him, but when he cries, he hears. God is a person unlike the Pharisees, who does not look down on and does not turn away from the affliction of the afflicted. God is the person who does not hide his face from the person who calls out to him for mercy. God, be merciful to me as a sinner. God is the person who hears those prayers of the affliction. I told you this. It reminds me of Dorothy Greenstein, who is a Holocaust survivor from Poland. who became We became close friends in, in 2011, and for seven years, Whenever I would tell her, Dorothy, you need to turn to the Lord Jesus. You met Dorothy, Jason, yeah. Dorothy would yell at me and tell me, you know, the nicest thing she ever said to me was, you and I go to different congregations, that's all. But, but I would pray for her in Jesus' name, and she never said amen. But it all changed. When she was 88 years old, the diabetes got worse, the hernias became so critical, everything was going wrong. She had melanoma. And one day, Sergio, a believer who was, being, who was also being taught Hebrew by Dorothy, and Sergio asked Dorothy to read Isaiah 53 in Hebrew, and when she did, she started to shake. She started to tremble, and she said, this is, this is Yeshua, isn't it? And Sergio told that it was, and then Sergio explained to her that, that the great peace that he got in his life when he let Yeshua come into his heart and, and confess his sins and, and so she said, how do I get that? How do I get that? She said, how do I get that peace? And Sergio just very gently, very calmly, just explained to her, didn't say, pray these words after me, just said, this is what you must do. And he went through the sinner's prayer. And a week later, he asked her, he said, did you pray that prayer? And she said, I did. So, and then she died. What made Dorothy change? The afflictions of the afflicted. And when the afflicted Dorothy turned to Jehovah Jesus with all of her afflictions, what did, Je- what did Jehovah Jesus do for Dorothy? Verse 24, he did not despise nor abhor the affliction, the word anut, the affliction of the afflicted, the word ani, neither had he hid his face from, from him or her when he cried. He heard. he heard Dorothy's prayer. And why does Jehovah Jesus hear the prayer of the affliction? Be, uh, the afflicted, because he was afflicted. In Isaiah 53, this is the whole description of him as the afflicted one. In Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, 
and afflicted. Anna, same word. Afflicted. And in verse 7, Isaiah 53, 7, 53, 7, he was oppressed. He was afflicted, Anna, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shears is dumb. He opens not his mouth. All these Hebrew words, anut, ani, ana, all come from the same root that means to be bowed down, to be depressed. And this is how the Lord Jesus is portrayed, the Messiah is portrayed to the people. You will recognize him by Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9, God was saying to Israel, watch for the one. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, ani, afflicted. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.